Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here with me, as always. I, I know we're, we're going to dive together into the latest uh, over these election results that continue to make their way through the courts. Uh, we're, we're going to spend time on that. But I, I'm sorry, I got to start with something else today. A study that has been waited, uh, waited for by a lot of folks. It's been talked about, delayed for a few months, about whether or not wearing a mask, wear a mask, Cuomo says, about whether or not wearing a mask is effective protection for the wearer. Now, we have to be very specific in how we talk about this and how we discuss this, because what they're going to do is look for any lack of precision. What the mask mandate maniacs will do is say, oh, but did you see the the point two five? That's not what it says. You said that it doesn't protect and it does protect. It protects by. OK, so I'm going to try to be as precise as possible because I read every word of this Danish study. And there's much broader themes here, friends, than even just whether or not these mask mandates are good public health policy. Um, and understand that there are a lot of people all over the world, but particularly here in the, in the United States, a lot of people who think they are really, really smart. And everybody else who questions them is so, so dumb, not even that they're wrong, but that they're too stupid. They're they're contemptible in their ignorance. So they're not even worth engaging on these issues. That's the attitude. And they're going to have a heck of a time explaining what's going on here, because now we actually have some data. Masks prevent people from transmitting the coronavirus to others, according to scientists in this uh, New York Times write up of the piece. But a new trial failed to document protection from the virus among the wearers. Now, let's look at this. exactly. Like I said, this is important. And this goes to a much even bigger themes than coronavirus restrictions. So that's why I find this so important. This is such a a lesson, such a cautionary tale. But you have researchers in Denmark that they that, and they reported it in Annals of uh, of Science, I believe, is, is the journal that it was published in. So this is peer. I'm sorry. Annals of Internal Medicine. Pardon me. Annals of Internal Medicine. And this is peer reviewed and this is involving uh, 3,030 participants randomly assigned to wear masks, 2,994 assigned to the control group. This is actual science. Look at results based upon with a control group based upon an experiment. Show the data. And use the scientific method and then come to a conclusion and then understand that this can be tried again and again and replicated. See if we get the same results. Try to control for all variables. This is science. The same way the vaccine, the amazing vaccines that are just on the precipice of approval and that were pushed along. Yes, by absolutely brilliant scientists, people that can do stuff that you and I would not be able to do with, you know, all the money in the world, right? These guys have real and gals have real expertise and knowledge. They've, they've made these vaccines and they hopefully will bring about this. It's not just a pandemic from COVID, but there's also on top of that a pandemic of of fear, anxiety, government overreach. So much has come along with this, as I've been saying, would be the case. But they did this the right way. They did a real experiment. Why haven't we seen more of these, by the way? Didn't you ask that question? We're making enormously consequential public policy decisions. We're inflicting upon people the constant psychological and physical irritation and trauma of wearing a mask outside, wearing a mask on the treadmill, wearing a mask indoors now in your own home. That's the latest guidance in Pennsylvania. 
Cases going up all over the country, mask wearing, higher rates of adoption than ever before in this country. You're not supposed to ask any questions about this. Do it or else is now the attitude. Okay, well, let's look at what the actual science tells us. Listen to the scientists, they say. Okay, well, I read this entire study. Doesn't really take all that long, actually. It's pretty easy to read. And you can see it online. And if you will, uh, we'll post a link to it at, at bucksexton.com. Um, and it, it's linked in some of my tweets, which are also posted there. So go to bucksexton.com. And here's what it tells you. Um, and I think it's very important that mask wearing, according to the data, here's what here's how the New York Times quotes it. The study did not contradict growing evidence that masks can prevent transmission of the virus from wearer to others. But the conclusion is at odds with the view that masks also protect the wearers, which was a position just endorsed last week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Okay, they're trying to be very gentle with their audience. Oh, no, it's still true that a mask protects you. As in from me. But my wearing of a mask, if I go into a room with a mask on, okay, according to this study, and there is a person who is COVID infectious in that room, they can prove no benefit whatsoever for my wearing of the mask as a protection for me. None. And the way that they did this study, so that everybody's very clear, is they had like I said, a few thousand participants on each side. And the uh, the people that were told to wear a mask. Uh, the participants uh, wearing a mask, 42 participants recommended mask wearing got co uh, got covid 53 without mask wearing got covid. So it's one point eight percent versus two point one percent difference which is statistically, for the purposes of this experiment, completely insignificant, means nothing. Effectively, you can tell no difference whatsoever. So you have thousands of people told, wear a mask every day. Now, I know what they're going to say, Buck, but their mask usage wasn't perfect, right? Or some of them did it all the time, some did it sometimes. Okay, but if masks were really effective, with about 3,000 people who are at least sometimes wearing masks... And you got about 3000 or so people who are never, ever wearing masks, right? Like they're like not they're in the non mask group. Don't you think the difference should be more than, oh, what is it? Point three percent. Is that really what we're going for here? And keep in mind, no one even thinks that that's a hard and fast number. It's effectively zero. But even if if there was a point three percent reduction in covid-19 for mask wearing, do you think it's worth it? Are you going to continue to wear a mask? 0.3%. What have I been saying to you? Maybe it's 5%. Maybe it's 10%. I've been saying I think it may, maybe does something. This says it does even less. Ah, now we get to the chorus of people. I'm so smart. I read the study. You haven't read it. No, I've read it. I've read it several times. It's not hard to read. Uh, what they'll say is, ah, but this tells us you need even more mask wearing because it's not about you. It's about protecting people from you. And this is what the scientists all still agree on. That's what they'll tell you. A little problem with that, though. First problem. Where is the study that proves that? Where is the study that shows that? I asked the question. I wanted it. I don't want to hear about, oh, but blah, 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 blah. You know, people just mumbling about all the smart people that say, no, no, where is the Show me the data. Show me the evidence to prove that. Even bigger problem for that argument here. Remember, people ultimately at this point, you have you have people that have their reputations on the line for being super smart experts. And you also have people who don't want to believe that they're sheep and have been doing, you know, look, I've been wearing a mask when I go into stores and stuff because I have no choice. Right. They make you. Otherwise, I can't buy groceries. I can't go anywhere in New York City. So, you know, this is a mandate. It's not a. But there are people that are firm believers and they really look down on other people, even who question this. They look down on them, that they think they are less than that. They're dumb. They're reckless. And this was a huge part of the Trump is responsible for all the covid. Don't forget that, too. 
because Trump wasn't a, a mask worshiper from day one, which not even Fauci was. We can get into that. But because people that support Trump just generally, I think, have a more individualistic view of life and of, of what's important as an American and individual liberty. And they don't like being told by the government where this uncomfortable, annoying restriction on your face all the time and forget about the the separation and really the dehumanizing aspects of this. And, you know, I've hated this all along. I've hated masks all along. All right. And now they tell us, oh, but it's about protecting other people from you, which is so interesting because, as even the New York Times had to point out, they had to beat us to it because otherwise it looks like they're trying to hide it. The CDC recently said masks are very effective at protecting you when you wear it. You wear a mask, it blocks the aerosols, it blocks the particles. That was what the CDC was saying a week ago. The Centers for Disease Control. Now we have a study out that says that there's no way to prove that at all. And if anything, it looks like it is just a complete waste. People are going to point to and say, no, Buck, that's not true. It says they they could. And this is when they do the deep dive statistical analysis of what all the data means. It could reduce transmission by up to 40 percent. Yeah, the same study says it could also increase transmission to wear a mask because of people touching it and stuff up to 20 percent. So you got to maybe up to 40, maybe up to 20. That means they don't know. But well, let's let's focus on what we do know. Let's use our common sense. Let's not be shouted down and condescended to by the the mask wearing chorus all the time here. You had about 3000 people told to wear masks, given masks, and they knew they were part of a study about mask wearing and 3000 other people who I'm sure were happy to sign up for this. Say, no, we're not wearing a mask. About the same number of people got infected in both groups. OK, now they also will say, oh, Buck, but at that time in Denmark, there wasn't a lot of mask, you know, adopt mask wearing wasn't really that widespread. They, they can look at all the flaws and they can try to keep justifying their public policy as much as they want. The point here is that the evidence for a mask protecting you from the inhalation of aerosolized COVID-19 virus, the best study we have this year shows that there is no benefit to you of wearing that mask. Now we have to move to the secondary question or the next question which is, is there a benefit to other people if you wear a mask? We are told to take that on the advice. We're told to take that based on the expertise of the scientific consensus. And if you question it, you're a bad person, you're a moron. There's no, there's no reflection, there's no humility in this conversation whatsoever from that, art, from that group. They pretend that this never happened. It doesn't matter what the evidence has showed in this one. We're still right. We're just right in a different way. Sure. Why was the CDC wrong about masks as a protective mechanism for you from infection a week ago? And why was the CDC's initial guidance now nine months ago? Why was their initial guidance that mask wearing is not a good policy and it is not effective at all? What has changed between now and then? Use your own common sense. Look at what is being proved. What have I said that is not true? Find one thing. Everything I am telling you is a matter of either historical record or of the data and of fact. But people don't want to believe that they have been fooled, that they are easily led by the consensus. And on this one, on this story that masks are a protective shield for you from the virus in the air around you, from people using that, the people that have been saying that based on the science, are wrong. They are wrong. Now, they can, do, they can do a lot of dancing around. Oh, but maybe it's inconclusive and there's other things. Why do we think this Danish study was delayed for months? You don't think that there was a lot of wrangling around this to try to avoid releasing it? People don't like looking dumb. Even if it's just... And maybe they are right. Maybe that does protect from aerosolized virus that goes to somebody else, right? If you wear the mask, right? Maybe it contains more of your... That's possible, I don't know. But I do know that the other thing they were telling us until last week and that they would have made fun of you for bringing up in public, they were wrong about that based on what we know now. And here's the other part of it. We learn more in time. 
Science is about testing and retesting assumptions. Data, fact, these are about what is true. And sometimes we think something's true, we find out that it's not. That's a part of being an intellectually honest and worthwhile entity. But you think the control freaks out there are even are going to give that a, a moment's attention? Of course not. They were just wrong on this one, and you know what they're moving on to? We're right about the other thing. Shut up. Wear your mask. Well, keep that one going until we see what the studies tell us about that. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Do you think there will be any humility from the various public health experts who have been going on TV and have been claiming that anyone who even questions the constantly shifting medical consensus about how to deal with COVID-19, and that's a fact, it has been constantly shifting. They say, oh, it's because we have new data. And usually the new data is we can see that what they were telling us to do didn't work. So they tell us to do something else based on the data. But it's never an admission that the previous declarations they made were incorrect. Now, that that part of it does not get any attention whatsoever. That part of it doesn't really matter. No, it's all still about bashing Trump. It's Trump supporters fault. You see that covid is still spreading. That's what the left wants you to believe. It's Trump supporters fault that. There have been huge spikes in European countries that have mass compliance numbers that are very high, that have gone through a series of different lockdowns. You see, it's, it's just those evil Trumpsters that are behind this whole thing. It's really the Trump virus. That's what they want you to believe. It's not the China virus, it's the Trump virus. Uh, these people are insane, but they also believe that the president worked with the Russians to steal an election from Hillary Clinton. They also think that that's true. So what can you say about that? Um, but here's an example of the kind of uh, derangement uh, derangement that you will see on television. This guy wanders into he's an emergency room physician. He's wandering into to terrorism analysis, you know, all, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. All we do is find, uh, you know, a guy with an M.D. who's a huge lib. And all of a sudden, the person's on TV telling everybody about who sh- who you should listen to, who you shouldn't the, the whole the whole thing. It's uh, it's it's outrageous. Um, this guy's a leftist, by the way. This guy's an you go online, you check him out. He's a leftist. But this is what you get on CNN as a medical expert. Uh, play whatever that is. Fourteen. No, they need to can him. Um, I mean, I one of the things I can't wait for when when the inauguration happens is that he'll be gone. He's a radiologist, which is great. It has nothing to do with public health. He probably hasn't taken care of a patient in 30 some years. Um, you know, he's, he's a right wing ideologue who is going after my governor, who's doing everything she can, despite a hostile state legislature and Supreme Court and our state who has taken away powers. They're doing everything they can. We know when the president tweeted liberate Michigan uh, after that. We had a plot to kidnap and murder Governor Whitmer and and basically take down the whole state government. You know, so now he's tweeting rise up. I mean, there's not much difference between liberate and rise up and whatever he claims to say. These are these are uh, call to arms for people in our state, one of the worst states for domestic terrorism. Um, So, you know. I'm, I'm grateful that Governor Whitmer has said, listen, she's not going to worry about her political fortunes, about reelection or about, you know, any kind of uh, attempts against her. She's going to do what's right and try to protect us. And she is so much here that is misleading, dumb, wrong. But, you know, this guy just find a doctor somewhere. You know, this guy's a doctor in Michigan. And so now we all have to believe everything that he says about everything, including terrorism. I've actually worked professionally in terrorism. This guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but he's allowed to have his opinion, right? Well, that's fine. Uh, the whole thing about the terrorist plot against Governor Whitmer, you know what they always leave out of that now? The same right-wing pro-Trump terrorists that they've, uh, that they've rounded up and said were plotting all this stuff. First of all, their plots were absurd. They were never going to come to fruition. Nothing was ever really going to happen. This, was what off- this is what often occurs when you've got an informant, an FBI informant placed among people who gets them talking a lot of talking a lot of idiocy. And, yeah, they're bad people. And I don't care if they're going to end up getting in trouble here. But the point is uh, that they weren't really, you know, at the actionable phase of any of this at all. And they also wanted to one of them wanted to uh, assassinate. This is based on the FBI affidavit in the court, uh, FBI sworn statement in the court. 
one of the plotters wanted to assassinate President Trump. So these are the pro-Trump people that are also planning uh, a lethal plot against the president. That's that's what they leave out of this, because that didn't get out into the court record for about a week. But it was good for Governor Whitmer, who's a moron, to go around saying, oh, gosh, you know, the president's mean people were all plotting all the mean stuff against me. Oh, yeah. So we heard all that. But they leave that out, that these people were psychopaths and they hated the president, too. And the stuff they were talking about was, while violent and, and evil, also nowhere near actually ever happening. Um, but nonetheless, this guy's waxing philosophical. But that and trying to tie Dr. Scott Atlas is inciting terrorism, which is what happens when you are opposed to lockdowns. If people were having a real conversation about this, if people were willing to look at what's true and what we've seen and what's real, they wouldn't have to resort to such disgraceful smears. Also, I mean, putting down Dr. Atlas for having a background in radiology, radiology, radiologists are MDs. They diagnose disease, including uh, through using you know, X-rays and MRIs, and they, they, they are part of the medical profession. And he was, uh, he was head of, I think it was neuroradiology at Stanford Medical School for many years. So, yeah, no, he doesn't know anything about public health, though. The guy doesn't know anything about the medical system at all. No, he's not on a par with a guy who's in ER doc in some hospital in Michigan. Yeah, no, has no idea. I mean, really, we're going to get into a credential battle. Let's be honest about what we're talking about. But, but even beyond that, they, they, hate, they hate Dr. Atlas. And yet, what is he saying? That the 10-person mandates on Thanksgiving are absurd and people need to stop with this. They, it is absurd. And if you don't think it, it's absurd... You're a weak-willed, weak-minded person. And if you don't think it's absurd, you should just look at what's going on with the people who put these policies in place and then break them and know that they'll get away with it. Oh, but they're so concerned about public health. Somebody who tells you, do what I say or else people will die, and then does the thing that they tell you not to do or else people will die is an unserious hypocrite who clearly does not really believe the things they are telling you. Or they're actually a monster, but they don't really think you're going to kill people any more so that if you are out living your life and, you know, you could pass any number of diseases to somebody without knowing it. I mean, mean, we could talk about the flu, but that I know that sets everybody off. That gets them all upset. Uh, But this is where we are, friends. Um, The more information we have, the more we realize that the public health authorities in this country have just dramatically failed us. They have completely uh, collapsed on us here. And, and when I mean public health authorities, I'm not talking about doctors who are doing a job. I'm not talking about nurses who are doing a job who are trying to provide care to people. That's great. I'm talking about those MDs in our midst who are making national policy, who are harnessing the force of the federal, of the state, of local government which ultimately means a willingness to take your stuff and lock you up if you don't agree. That's what government force is. The, the MDs who have been pushing those decisions have been catastrophically wrong. We have not gotten the benefits that they have promised we would have, and we have certainly had all of the downside. Plus, there's Joy Behar out there who says, you know, you know, do- Dr. Dr. Atlas... He's, you know what he is? He's embarrassing. Play 11. Well, as the unofficial spokesperson for the uh, Social Security crowd, let me say to Dr. Atlas, (laughs) this is not my last Thanksgiving, you embarrassing quack. (laughs) (laughs) He's a neuro, he's a neuro radiologist, Joy. Whatever happened to first do no harm? This guy is, he is a, he is a menace to society, this man. Of course, t- Trump picks him because he only picks the best people. But I mean, come on, uh, you know, don't don't listen to a radiologist when it comes to a virus. Please, ladies and gentlemen out there, do not listen to this <laughs> quack. He's a quack. He's a quack. Quack, quack. Neuroradiologists, if you Google it, they have further certification than just radiologists and that they also treat abnormalities in the nervous system, spine, head and neck. And they can treat diseases by means of image guided surgery. So, yeah, no, not really a not really a doctor, just a doctor who diagnoses neck, brain, spine injuries and can do surgery to help fix that. 
But other than that, not really. I mean, it's not like, you know, this guy's like lower than a podiatrist on the medical food chain, right? No offense to podiatrists out there. I'm just saying. I know they get a lot of heat. This is nonsense. But listen to Joy Behar. She knows it's not my last Thanksgiving. What he's saying is if you're 86 years old, are you not going to see your grandkids? Are you not going to see your family this Thanksgiving because you're afraid of a virus that you probably won't catch by the numbers? And you might, but you also in any given year could die from any number of things that you could catch from just living your life. Do you this is a question for people to answer themselves. Do you want to live your life or do you want to hide in fear? If you want to hide, that's fine. That's your right. Right? That you have a right to do that. I there is no notice how there's no coercion from our side to force people to leave their homes, force people to go out into crowded places. No, but in the other direction, of course, they have no problem with the utilization of state force to make you stay in your home, to make you avoid other people. This does get down to very basic philosophy about about the government. Um, And notice that there's so little, so little uh, emphasis put on the pain that they're causing people here. Oh, you know, I know she's supposed to be so nice. And oh, gosh, yeah, she's a lovely lady. Governor Whitmer up in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Here she is talking about that small business. I'm just crushing the small businesses like a little bug under my boot. But, you know, I feel bad for them. Play 16. The restaurant industry has really had a tough year because of COVID, because there's not been a national strategy. And we've seen COVID just explode across the country in waves. This is really driven by uh, our epidemiologists and our public health experts that tell us it's inherently dangerous with the kind of community spread that we have all across Michigan and all across the Midwest and frankly, all across the country. The inherently dangerous situations are when you are inside with people from a different household or many different households for a prolonged period of time with masks off. That's what happens in restaurants. And that's why it's really going to be critical that the feds get their act together and give us some stimulus support for these small businesses, for these restaurant workers. I I have incredible empathy for what they're struggling with. And yet we have to follow the epidemiology, the public health experts, and make decisions that combat the spread before our hospitals get overwhelmed and before we hit 1,000 deaths a week in Michigan. Because that's what the modeling is telling us where we're headed right now. But we're wearing masks and we've been social distancing. So why are the models telling us? Oh, you mean the models that have been wrong always during this whole thing? The models that keep being wrong. We have to listen more about this. The government cannot protect you from an aerosolized virus that is at pandemic stage that is already in, you know, it's all over the place. You know, they do these, they'll write these news reports about how you know, the Chinese government says they found coronavirus on beef sent from halfway across the world that arrives in China. I mean, this this is what we're dealing with. But the government says, just listen to us, just let us take away your constitutional rights and we'll protect you. It's a lie. They, they can't. They can't do it, but they won't admit that they won't admit that if, if people started to believe that the, there were limitations on what government could do to protect them, uh, that would start to change their underlying political philosophy in ways that would not be helpful for Democrats, for statists, for the left. Um, but it, it's it's never it's never that they were wrong. It's just that we didn't do it well enough. Oh, get ready for, you know, I've been saying this N95 masks. That's where it's really at. OK, maybe the cloth masks weren't a good, as good, but it's N95 masks or you got to double up on the cloth masks. Or do what they're doing in Pennsylvania now where they have a state mandate that you have to wear a mask inside your own home. Inside your own home. That's right. You know, you have hundreds of thousands of people that die every year from heart disease. We could also have a mandate that you uh, can only eat 2,000 calories a day and have to do 100 push-ups before, before you shower every morning. That would make people probably healthier in the aggregate, would save a lot of lives. Is that constitutional too? Under emergency health powers? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Some fiery moments yesterday on Capitol Hill as uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook was once again facing lawmakers, including Senator, uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, who is with us now from the great state of Tennessee. Senator Blackburn, thanks so much for joining. I am thrilled to join you. Thank you so much. So what was the single biggest moment that you saw that people should be aware of yesterday during 
those those hearings, you know, they went on for quite some time. Most people didn't have time to watch it all. Are, are we at a point now where big tech realizes, Senator, that some of their practices have to change? I think the biggest moment from yesterday was one that came through the collective of looking at this hearing book. You saw them pretty much admit that, yes, they are doing some blocking and throttling and censoring, but they think it's okay because they are getting into the business of publishing which through their statements, they admit that they are doing uh, this because they're editorializing. Well, editorializing is creating content, and that is not where they are supposed to be. They are information services. They are to be the new town square. Town squares need a cop on the beat to make certain that you have the point, the counterpoint, and it's done in a civil manner. And, Senator, what would you like to see happen now? Because one of the questions that keeps coming up after these hearings is, what now? Uh, We've seen, whether it's Jack Dorsey of Twitter, uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, we we see these tech CEOs, uh, the CEO of Google, they'll go on Capitol Hill, and they have these moments where we see exactly what you're saying, that they're blurring the line between platform and publisher. There's clear bias They used to say there wasn't bias. It was just algorithms. Now we know that's not true, but it feels like not a lot changes. How can things change, Senator? How would you like to see them change when it comes to big tech? There are two pieces of legislation that I have authored that are moving through the process right now. One is in Commerce Committee, and it is a privacy bill. And it is pretty much centered around legislation I started working on eight years ago. It's called the Browser Act. And what the privacy bill will do is to have one set of privacy standards and federal preemption. That's for the entire Internet ecosystem. Then it's going to have one regulator, the FTC. It is going to put in the consumer's hand, the online user's hand, the ability to opt in if they want to share data and information and then to opt out on non-sensitive information, things like tracking. And so that way, it will change big tech's approach. It is going to change their business model, but it's a good change. It is in favor of the consumer. Now, the second bill moving through is one that does reform Section 230. It is a good piece of legislation. It is called the Online Freedom and viewpoint diversity bill and senator lindsey graham and senator roger wicker the chairman of commerce and the chairman of judiciary have joined me on that bill it would be very specific as to who can use the liability protection in section 230 and when they can use it it would also eliminate this subjectiveness that big tech hides behind and says well we have community standards well we have terms of service and it would be very specific in the reasons that you have to exercise some kind of censorship because it would spell out it has to be unlawful conduct it has to cause um, incentivized terrorism or lead to personal harm those would be the reasons for being able to censor something that bill is scheduled for a markup in judiciary committee tomorrow We're speaking to senator marcia blackburn of tennessee senator what is the democrat response i mean from your colleagues in the senate for example with with what you're talking about here are are some of them on board and, and for the ones who aren't Why would they object to what seem like very common sense ways to address big tech censorship that we all know is there? Well, money, money, money is the reason. And the majority of contributions that have been given by big tech employees and their CEOs have all gone to Democrats. And so the Democratic Party has been very hesitant to tackle these issues that consumers want to see addressed.
So they're just looking to keep things exactly as they are. That's that's discouraging, but I think we understand. The status quo serves them well. Right. Well, we saw that, obviously, with the suppression efforts in in the run up to the election and Twitter removing that or suppressing that story about Hunter Biden. And so it's all out there for everybody to see. Hopefully we'll be able to advance the legislation and the changes that you're talking about. But big tech is very powerful and they have a lot of sway, not just with money, but obviously also with perception and moving the national conversation in ways that really the mainstream media, I think, is jealous of these days. Facebook and Twitter are much more powerful. But, Senator, I also want to ask you about the other big issue this week in the news going on now for a couple of weeks. These recounts, lawsuits, the continued battle over who really won based on legal ballots this last uh, presidential election. You have some experience not just running for U.S. Senate and, and being in office, uh, but you have experience working on election commissions. How concerned are you, based on what you've heard so far, about the legitimacy of the, the vote counts in some of these states that are that are contested still? Well, and I have no doubt if every legal vote was counted and every illegally cast ballot was thrown out, President Donald Trump would have four more years. What we have seen happen is some of these communities were not careful in mailing out the ballots. Basically, what they did was to mail one to everybody. It was like a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes notice. Fill it out, send it in if you want to participate. And that is not what is intended for our right to vote. And everybody got one. You know what? I have talked to people that got three and four at their home because they went to former residences. I talked to someone who lives in one of these blue cities, uh, and they had been in their house 11 years. The previous owner, the only other person that had ever owned their home, died 12 years ago. That deceased individual who's been deceased 12 years, received a ballot in the mail. What you're going to see happen, this issue will pivot to the states, and these state legislatures are going to have to put some things in place that require these local election commissions to clean up their roles and to make certain that only individuals who are allowed to vote are getting a ballot to vote. Now, that would be for the future, which is obviously very important. We all want to have faith in our future elections. But, Senator, for this most recent election, just based on on what you've seen and what you believe some of the, uh, let's call them proven irregularities already have been and the possible fraud that still remains to be uh, conclusively uh, proven, is it is it too late? Uh, did we essentially uh, did the Democrats with these changes because of covid in in the way that we did voting Will it be almost impossible to prove the kind of things you're talking about? The lawsuits are filed. There are some by the Trump campaign. There are some by individuals who witnessed irregularities. And they are gathering their information. They have from now until the time the Electoral College will meet. And prior to that, your states are going to be certifying uh, these elections. I mean, look at the fact that Georgia found six thousand ballots that had not been counted and out of that the majority of those ballots went to donald trump certainly seems like if they could find six thousand here and six thousand there uh there's a lot more reason to dig into this and make sure that we got the right vote count in the end senator marsha blackburn everybody of tennessee senator we really appreciate your time thanks for joining us today good to be with you thank you bye-bye now thanks for listening to the best of buck daily podcast For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. Well, would you look at that? More ballots in the last 48 hours found. Ballots that had not been counted. No particularly good reason for that. Just didn't get counted. More ballots that were not counted. And who wants to guess whether they go majority for Trump or Biden? You You want to take a guess? Ah, yes, it turns out that they have found not one but two batches of ballots in Fayette County and also in Floyd County, Georgia. Now, Georgia is a state where you've got about a, what is it, a a 15,000 vote margin, something like that. So on on Monday, we found 2,600 
new votes in Floyd County. And now they've also announced that there were 2,755 uncounted votes on a memory card in Fayette County. So over the course of two days, you got about 5,000 uncounted ballots that just show up in Georgia. Now, remember, we're told it's over, be quiet, go home, nothing to see here. Trump lost. That's what we're told. But if you if you find over the course of two days, 5000 ballots that were just not not included in the tally at all. And at least in one of those two batches, they went two for one Trump. Okay, so two for one going to Trump. They've cut down the Biden lead to under 13000 votes now in that state. I just want to know, at what point do we get to say, wow, we really do need to make sure that we. Cross all the T's and dot all the I's here. At what point is it obvious to anybody who's being honest that the only way forward here is to make sure that we do check for every legal ballot, that we make sure that illegal ballots are not counted? And yes, that we find and rectify irregularities, fraud, all of these things. We're talking about 5,000 new votes found in a state with less than 15,000 for the margin of victory. Shouldn't that matter to everybody? Isn't that important? Is it surprising to anyone? I'm going to ask you this. Is it surprising to anyone that we have a circumstance, that we have a situation where we're finding, okay, where we're finding ballots and there were all these changes that were made this year to the way the election was going to be done? Of course, this is what's going to happen. When you have last-minute changes, all this additional mail-in balloting, all these, let's be real, let's be honest, all these games that Democrats were playing to try to shift the election playing field in their favor. Yes, there are going to be ballots that are found that don't count, or that haven't been counted, rather, and that shouldn't count if they're illegally cast. So isn't this exactly what we should be expecting? But remember, if you have any questions about this election at this point, if, if you just want the process to continue so that we make sure that we have certainty. You are a conspiracy theorist. You're a bad person. You're a Trumper and you're awful. That's what the the dominant theme, the dominant narrative, certainly from the media and from the Democrat Party is. And to this, I just ask, well, how do they explain this in Georgia? How do they explain the 5000 votes that they had to fix with a glitch In Michigan, if every vote counts, then doesn't that mean we want to try to get every vote to be correct here? So illegal ballots not counted because that cancels out legal ones. I I think this should be very straightforward, but we got a lot of challenges here, friends. There's what we know and what we can prove. There's what looks fishy and what we'll be able to definitively show in a court of law and get a judge to take action on. There are many steps here, many phases that have to go a certain way for this election to be overturned in Trump's favor. And I've been telling you, it's it's a long shot. It's a long shot. People who are saying otherwise, I don't think they're being honest with you. I think that there's a a lot of, oh, I'm going to be the most magorific. I'm going to be the most pro-Trump even in these last weeks here just to show everybody my my devotion to the cause, even though I I believe that this is going to go for Joe Biden, but I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm here telling you, I I think Trump's chances are not good at this point, but that doesn't mean we don't fight. That doesn't mean we don't figure out exactly what happened here to the best of our ability. It's about this election and the next election. This is meaningful. Uh, You also have in Nevada, uh, this uh, this allegation, which came from Adam Laxalt, I think he's the GOP chief there. Play four. What we are providing today in this lawsuit is that many of these votes were improperly cast. We are presenting today in our formal contest that there are north of 15,000 people who voted in Nevada and another state. 
we are presenting that people voted in people that had already done a change of address and left the state outside of 30, the 30 day requirement, their ballots were still cast. We are also presenting dead voters. Those are all verifiable allegations one way or the other. Shouldn't we know? Shouldn't we have a real understanding of what's true here and what's not? What's the argument against this? Oh, that Trump hasn't conceded soon enough? That Trump is a risk to our democracy? No, what what we do know is that the, the left's answers, whenever we try to pose these questions, always revolve around a, a version of orange man bad. Trump is a unique threat. Trump is uniquely awful. And because of that, the Democrats say he doesn't even really get to have his process. We don't get to have the president wait uh, to see what actually happened. He's supposed to get ahead of it and say, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I lost this election. He's not even allowed to get his due process. That's what they want you to think. That's their their position on all of this. Because he's the worst. That's why Don Lemon's out there. Don Lemon. Monsieur Don Lemon. He is out there uh, telling people that this is a this is about what your grandkids think. Play 10. It is all local. But imagine those local folks having the influence. They have they could have had a very big influence on a national election on who was yeah. president of the United States. I think that, um, you know, I heard uh, some folks on your air talking about how how history is going to look back on this. And I think a lot of people are going to be embarrassed o- over time when they look back and say, how did I do that? How did I fall for that? What happened to me? What was I thinking in that time? Wrong. You may want to win. You may want to, you know, whatever it is, you have, what do they call it, uh, liberal tears. You may want all of that. But your grandchildren and your kids will look back and say, ooh, what did grandpa did? What did it do? What did, what did dad do? What did mom do uh, in this moment? And, and realize that you were on the wrong side of history and that you possibly were teaching them the wrong thing. <laughs> it's not all. It's not ridiculous. Think about that. Yeah. Your grandkids are really going to say, excuse me, granddaddy, where were you? During the great recount fight of 2020 in those weeks, what side of the issue were you on? No, that's not going to happen. Your grandkids will not care. Nobody will even remember this in six months. We, we will remember who the president is, and we may suffer the consequences if, he's the, if it's the wrong one, but no one's going to remember that you said, yeah, can we just make sure every legal vo- vote is counted? That's that's a very standard, very uh, defensible. In fact, it's the only really defensible position here. But this is what they do. They create these narratives. It's a version of the journos always saying, you know, my five year old came to me and said, you know, Dad, why is it that that Republicans don't understand the unique threat to our democracy posed by Donald Trump's erosion of norms? It's like now your five year old didn't say that, journo, but nice try. Right. They do that all the time. This was a thing that was really popular a couple of years ago. Blue check journals would lie about how their their toddler was waxing philosophical about the unique threat to the Constitution posed by President Trump, because libs, for some reason, think that what comes out of the mouths of children when it comes to politics is really important and and powerful. You know, if a kid says it, well, then we really got to pay attention. Of course, this is absurd, but. That's what they do. This is also why they made such a big thing of Greta Thunberg, who at age 16 was traveling the world, lecturing people on climate change. Yes, that's right. I I take advice about complicated multinational climate change treaties from a 16 year old. Yes, that's an intelligent move for an adult. Sure, that's that's really smart. But no, the, the libs, it's all about the emotions, the feelings, the theatrics around all this. And that's what Don Lemon is appealing to here. What will your grandchildren say about this moment? Uh, your grandchildren are going to say, did you get me you know, the latest video game that I want for Christmas? They're not, they're not going to care about what you said here. And it's, and it's laughable. I mean, it's absurd to believe otherwise. Um, but that's one way that they do this. And that's one way they try to convince you that you have no ground here whatsoever to stand and say that you want every vote to be counted. And if we're going to talk about embarrassment and people that have gone down 
the rabbit hole, people that have believed things that are foolish. Has anyone at CNN, have any of these journos apologized for their role in the Russia collusion hoax? Not one. None of them have. None of them have apologized. None of them feel any any sheepishness or, or any shame for running around for years with the ridiculous story that the president of the United States was a Russian asset who worked to steal the election from Hillary Clinton in 2016. Many of them still believe that. Many of them still think there was Russian collusion. And that's how they avoid the embarrassment. I mean, what should be the deep intellectual embarrassment of falling for that. Uh, but now they're telling us, oh, if, if you if you stand and fight now and want the final counts to be accurate, you're going to be embarrassed one day. No, I, I don't think I'll take ad- advice from them on this. I also don't think I'll take advice from them on embarrassment, considering how often they accuse Trump and Republicans of of more or less being Nazis. Here's CNN's Christian Amonpour with the fanciest accent you've ever heard on television in your life. Listen to me because I'm so sophisticated and international because of my accent that obviously comes from a very expensive boarding school in England, but I'm even more international than that. Uh, but here, here she is telling everybody, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that Trump is just just like the Nazis at the top of my show on CNN International. Play nine. And finally tonight, a comment on my program at the end of last week. I observed the 82nd anniversary of Kristallnacht, as I often do. It is the event that began the horrors of the Holocaust. I also noted President Trump's attacks on history, facts, knowledge, and truth. I shouldn't have juxtaposed the two thoughts. Hitler and his evil stand alone, of course, in history. I regret any pain my statement may have caused. My point was to say how democracy can potentially slip away and how we must always zealously guard our democratic values. Yeah, so I compared Trump to Hitler, and I realized that that's deeply offensive to some people because it's the dumbest, most ridiculous comparison imaginable, and it undermines and underplays the true evil of the Holocaust. So let's just move on. There you go. CNN's perhaps best-known globally anchor. Total imbecile, but doesn't matter. No one's even going to remember it in a week. But they want to lecture you and me and tell us to be worried about what our grandchildren will think. Uh, I don't care what the libs think, that's for sure.